We'll be turning to the Word of God and we will be listening to the Word of God. I know the coronavirus has brought tremendous, tremendous fear for many, many people. This coronavirus has brought us to face with our own mortality. And when we lose control of the situation, when we are unsure of how to deal with something, when we don't have enough knowledge of something, when we are uncertain as to how to deal with a certain situation, one of the things that we often conjure up in our own personal self is the emotion of fear. And so fear is something that many people at this time has. And this fear, this fear here, sometimes it can lead us to do many, many good things. Fear itself, you see, fear itself is not always bad. It's not always negative. Many times it leads, leads us to do many, many good things. As we see with this fear of the coronavirus, it has improved us. It has reminded us to practice better hygiene. We walk around stores. We see people wearing gloves. We see people wearing masks. We see people, you know, people are washing their hands every single time now for at least 20 seconds, okay? At least that's the rule. I want us to understand that. And so fear, sometimes it can bring us, it can bring us to do many good things. But at the same time, sometimes fear brings us to do many evil things. Sometimes fear also directs us to do many bad things. And we see at the beginning of this coronavirus pandemic, we see the rise of violence against Asians because this virus here is believed to come from China. And so we see how fear can affect us differently. Sometimes it can lead us to do good. But other times, it also leads us to do many, many evil things. Not only that, the Word of God teaches us that many times without fear, we become foolish because it says that fear is the beginning of wisdom, right? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. And so sometimes when we don't have fear, it can also lead us to do many stupid things, many things that are that lack wisdom and we see that over the weekend we saw that over the weekend with many of our college students and many of the people just gathering over at the beaches throughout the country because they did not have the fear of this virus in them and so it was it was pretty foolish but fear and so fear sometimes fear sometimes it causes us to do good sometimes it causes us to do bad the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, it defines fear as this. It defines fear as an unpleasant but often strong emotion caused by anticipation or awareness of danger. And so most of the time when we think about fear, most of the time we think about it in a negative sense, okay? We think about it in this negative sense. But then there's also a fear that also Merriam-Webster Dictionary refers to, and this fear is also a fear that comes out of respect, comes out of awe, and that comes out of a, a willingness to submit to someone, to something, to submit to a deity. 
And that's, that, that's what we're talking about when we talk about Proverbs chapter 9, verse 10. When God says, when the Word of God teaches us that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And so we see, we see that fear itself isn't bad, but it really depends on where that leads us to. It really depends on how we respond to fear, how it leads us to. Because one can lead us to, to, towards depression. One can lead us towards anxiety. One can lead us to sleepless nights. One type of fear can lead us to do all these things of evil that causes us to fall. While the other type of fear, the other type of fear often leads us towards knowledge. It often leads us towards wisdom. You know, psychologists, Psychologist says that there's really just five types of fears that we all share with each other. And amazingly so, psychologists, when they refer to these types of, types of fears, it's often these negative type of types of fear. The first type of fear that they talk about is the fear of extinction, okay? The fear of extinction, basically meaning the fear of death, the fear of no longer existing, the fear of ceasing to exist. The fear that you'll never, you'll not be able to continue on anymore. That there will be no more ability for you to sense the world around you. There is no place for you to belong. There is no chance for you to continue to love anymore. In other words, this fear is a fear of just being no more. The second type of fear, the second type of fear that psychologists often talks about is the fear of mutilation. The fear of, of mutilation, the fear of just losing any part of your body or having any part of your bodies invaded. And that's where the fear of bugs, the fear of spiders, right? The fear of snakes. You know, that's where th these types of fears really come from because we don't want any, you know, we don't want any bugs to be biting us, right? And so this is the fear of mut mutilation. The other type of fear is the fear of loss of autonomy. The fear of just being immobilized. The fear of becoming paralyzed. The fear of being restricted. The fear of being entrapped. The fear of being imprisoned. The fear of not being independent anymore. Of always having to depend on other people. This is the fear of loss of autonomy. The fourth type of fear that psychologists often refer to is the fear of separation. It is the fear of being abandoned. It is the fear of being rejected. It is the fear of not being wanted, not being respected. It is the fear of not being valued by others. And we see many societies of the past that have often used this type of fear, the fear of separation, to force individuals to really conform themselves to that society. And they often do this by isolating them because they understood the fear of separation that people have. They don't want to be alone, right? They want to belong to a certain group of people. They want to belong to a community because we are created to be a part of the community. That is our nature. And so many times, many societies know about this fear. They will use this type of fear to force people to conform. And then the fifth type of fear that psychologists talks about 
It's a type of fear that they call the ego death. It is the fear of humiliation. It is the fear of shame. It is the fear that most Asians have, right? Most Asians have this fear, the fear of just losing face. That's a big part, especially a big part of the Asian community, of the Asian culture. I don't want to lose face. And so many th of the things that we do is about losing faith. And this is, this is what psychologists refers to as the fear of the ego death. And so when we talk about these types of fear, when we talk about different types of fear, what we are going to talk about today is we're going to talk about the negative type of fear. And so how do we overcome the type of fear that destroys us? We're not talking, well, today we're not going to talk about the fear that, that lifts us up. We're not going to talk about the fear that, that directs us towards wisdom and enlightenment. But we're going to talk about the type of fear that destroys us and brings us down. The type of fear that causes stress to us. The type of fear that causes us to stay up all night long, not being able to go to sleep. And the type of fear that eventually leads us into depression, eventually leads us into other unhealthy mental health issues and negative behavior. How as we as Christians, as we face such a pandemic with this virus, this thing that we don't really know too much about, the data are not as clear as it needs to be yet. The only thing that we have right now, pretty much, is that we fear it. Many times when we fear it, we fear, we, we become, we, we begin to fear each other. But how do we overcome this type of fear? And that's why I want to lead us, that's why I want to lead us to, to study from Psalms chapter 23 today. And this is what Psalms chapter 23 says. This is a psalm written by King David. And he says, the Lord is my shepherd. All right. It's very, very popular, very, very famous Bible verse, a Bible chapter. The Lord is my shepherd and I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right path for his name's sake. And even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. You see, that's where the word fear comes out. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me and the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord Forever. What a beautiful, beautiful poem. A poem that many of us we know about. It is very popular in Christianity. But I don't know if we've ever really heard a sermon about this poem. I know that I've definitely, I have never heard a sermon about this poem. About Psalms chapter 23. Even though many times we hear people quoting it. Many times we hear people talking about it. But to actually break it down, to actually exegete it, to actually preach on it. I've never heard a sermon about it before. And so I'm going to start off here in verse 4, the second part of verse 4. And here in the second part of verse 4, we see what David says. He says, I will fear no evil. He will not be afraid of any evil. And why is that? He gives the reason. What is it that gives him the confidence to face these dangers in his life? What is it that gives him the confidence not to 
react or not to respond in a negative way towards fear. And he gives that reason the very next part of, of this verse. And he says, it is because for God is with me. You see, he says, for you are with me. So I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And so we see that throughout this chapter, we see that throughout this poem written by David here, David is constantly reflecting on who God is in his life. He's constantly reflecting upon his relationship with God. And it is in this relationship, in this understanding of his relationship with God and, his, and the way uh, who God is in his life and exactly the understanding of who God God himself is that gives David the confidence to be able to to face fear to be able to face these this type of negative fear that will cause him to stumble in his own faith and that's what that's what David is talking about here and the reason for that is because he knows and he understands that God is with him throughout his life and he goes on and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. You know, we don't really know. We don't really know exactly when and what part of David's life that he wrote this chapter. We don't really know that. But most scholars and most, most, most theologians, when they come together to study the words of this chapter, they, many of them will agree that this sounds like David is writing. He's writing this beautiful poem towards the end of his life. And if that is the case, if that is the case, that David was writing this poem towards the end of his life, then he would have been looking back and reflecting upon all that, he, that his life was. And he would have been reflecting upon all that his life is. You know, from the time of being a little child, from being a little shepherd boy in his father Jesse's house, to the time in which God's chose him to become the next king of Israel to the time in which Samuel the prophet Samuel anointed him as king to the time in which as a little boy he stood before this giant of a man this warrior this giant called Goliath with nothing but just a rock and a slingshot and yet he was able to defeat this warrior he was able to defeat this giant of a man even though he was just a little young boy at that time. He would have been reflecting back upon the time in which he was serving King Saul in the royal courts. To the time in which King Saul was seeking after him. King Saul sought after him to kill him, to have him murdered, to have him killed. To the time in which he became king. To the time in which he stood in his palace high above in his palace and he looked down upon the city and he saw this beautiful beautiful woman taking a bath by the name of Bathsheba and he had Bathsheba taken up into his palace taken up into his courts and he committed adultery with Bathsheba she was already married he committed adultery with Bathsheba he impregnated Bathsheba he would have been thinking about the time in which after he found out that Bathsheba was pregnant, he didn't know what to do. And so what did he do? He did one of the most evil acts in all of scripture. He plotted to abuse his power as the king to get Bathsheba's husband to be killed. 
And so he sent Bathsheba's husband to the front line of war just so that he will be killed, so that he will not find out that David had committed adultery with his wife. David would have been reflecting upon the time in which the prophet Nathan came before him. And the prophet Nathan rebuked him for his sin, for his adultery, and for his murder. David would have been reflecting upon the time in which his first child, his first child with Bathsheba died as a baby. David would have been reflecting upon the time in which his very own son, Absalom, betrayed and rebelled against him and tried to take over the throne. David would have been reflecting upon all these things, all the things that has been happening in his life in the past. He would have been reflecting upon these things. And yet in his reflection upon his life, the one thing that he comes to, the one conclusion that he comes to as he proclaims the Lord to be his shepherd. He comes and he says, the Lord is my shepherd. You see, the Lord, he's reflecting upon this creator, the God of all gods, the king of all kings. Not saying that there's any other gods, because there's only one God. There's only one God with the capital G. So he's reflecting on this. He's thinking about this creator, his creator, his maker, the one that sustains his life, the one that breathes life into him, the one that provides every single breath to him. He's, he's reflecting upon the Lord, the one that has blessed him tremendously throughout his life. And yet at the same time, at the same time as God blesses him, God also rebukes him for the sin that he committed in his life. This God, this Lord, who gives and he also takes away. As David was reflecting upon him, David says what? He says that this Lord is mine. I want us to understand that word mine. You see, David is not saying that this Lord belongs to somebody else. David is not saying that this Lord belongs to Israel. He's not thinking corporately at this time. He's not thinking about the community. He's not thinking about the group at this time. He's thinking about his own individual self. And he's saying, you know what, this Lord is mine. He is mine. It is a personal relationship. It is such an intimate and close thing that David is referring to. That gives him hope knowing that God is his. That this king, this God, this creator... The maker of all things, everything that we see today, the, the heavens and the earth, the mountains and the oceans, everything that we see, the majesty of this world, the beauty of nature, all things that we see was created by him. This is the creator. And yet David is saying, this creator is mine. He belongs to me. And David takes him, and David compares him to being a shepherd. We have to understand that being a shepherd is a lowly, lowly position at the time. It is a position in which nobody really wants. Only the lowliest of people will take upon that position of being a shepherd. So think about that. This Lord, 
of great majesty, this Lord of great, great glory, this Lord, the creator of all things, this, this God who raises up nations, this God who brings down nations, this God who, to, to, to the mountains, you say, you can only rise up to this point and you can rise up no more. And the mountains bow before him. This God who holds back the ocean and say, you can only come so far and you cannot come anymore. And the oceans, they respond to this God. This God is a shepherd. In other words, this mighty God who belongs to David has lowered himself to even being lower than David is because David, by all means, was the king. He was the king of Israel. Not only was he the king of Israel, he is, by most standards, the greatest king in the history of Israel. And yet he is proclaiming that this great God has lowered himself to this position of just being a shepherd, of being even underneath David, so that he can be with David. What a beautiful message it is. We see, we see the proclamation of this humility in our Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, it says that a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. What a message of humility. What a message of just being lowly and just being humble. And that's who our God is. He humbles himself. Even though he had no obligation to do so. He didn't have to. He, would have, he could have just said, These people whom I have created, they have rebelled against me and I will no longer care for them. I will create my own new people. God could have said that and he would have had every single right to do that. But yet instead of saying that, he says, I will lower myself even to the point of being below all of them so that I can be with them, so that I can redeem them. And this is shown, like, like I said, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 20, says that a bruised reed, he will not even break. You know, this reed, this reed is, is a bamboo-like plant that often grows around marshy grounds near the water. And people would often take these reeds and they would turn them into little musical instruments. But, you know, there's so many of these reeds. And oftentimes these reeds are so very fragile. And so they break easily. And so many times when you try to break those reeds off, when you try to unplant those reeds, and you try to use them as a music instrument, those reeds will break. And what will people do? Once it breaks, people will just throw it away. As if it was nothing. And yet, in the humility of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the humility of our God, it says that He will not throw us away even though we are broken. That's what it's basically saying. That even if you are broken, even though, even if you are seen as being of no value, even though others may see that, 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 that you're no longer useful, even in that sense, that the Lord will not throw you away. Even when you're broken, He won't throw you away. But instead, he will keep you. That's what the Bible verse is saying. 
and a smoldering wick, the candle that's about to die. He will not just blow you out. See? Even though you are just even though you've become like this candle that, that's about to, to die, he's not just going to blow you out. But he's going to keep you. And and the word says it goes on, says that the Lord, David says, the Lord restores me. And that's what David is reflecting upon. You know, his his greatest sin. His greatest sin. He did things worse than Donald Trump did, right? His greatest sin. Committing adultery and then plotting for the husband of Bathsheba to be killed. And his greatest sin. God restores him. God restores him when he is broken. God loves him. God forgave him as he repented before the Lord. And as he was being rebuked by Nathan who was sent to him. By God and so the humility of the king the humility of this king allows himself to come to humble himself before us before his sheep to take care of his sheep and in proclaiming that God is the shepherd David also does something else David also implies himself to be the sheep to be a sheep to be a lamb among that is being cared by this shepherd and in doing that he acknowledges his own stubbornness he acknowledges his own imperfection he's saying that I am just but just like any other sheep I am stubborn I don't know where to go I don't know what to do you say you see he says I don't even know where the green pastures are. Verse 2, he says, It is God who knows. God, He is the one that makes me lie down in the green pastures. He's saying, I don't know. I'm so stubborn. I'm so dumb, even to that point, right? That I don't even know where the green pastures is or are. And I need this God to make me lie down in that, in that green pastures. I need this God to lead me beside the quiet waters because if I was left to myself, I would not be able to find these quiet waters. I need this Lord, this God to refresh my soul because I cannot refresh my soul. I need Him to be my guide. I need Him to guide me on the right path. I need Him to show me what the right path is because I don't know. I'm just a sheep. I'm just a part of this, this, this fold here, part of the sheep here. I don't know where the right path is. I'm lost. I'm, I'm no different than any other person. I am so lost. And so I need God, the shepherd, the shepherd who is going to make me lie down, the shepherd who is going to lead me. And I need the shepherd, the shepherd, the shepherd who is going to guide me. And then he goes on, he says, I shall not want. In other words, he says that that is all I really need. There is really nothing else in life that I really need. As long as I have God as my shepherd, as long as I have God with me, I will fear nothing else because that's all that I really need. And oftentimes as we face and as we go through this pandemic, we're often faced with our own mortality, like I said at the beginning. 
And when we're faced with this mortality, when we're faced with this, we come to realize that we, as human beings, we are all at the mercy of God. In the end, no matter how much advancements that we have made, no matter how far we have come, no matter all the accomplishments that we have accomplished in our own lives, even either personally or as a nation, no matter how far we've become, as we face our own mortality, we often realize what David did, how David realized that God is all that we have. God is all that we have. But in this declaration that David is making, when he says, I shall not want, David is not only realizing that, but he's also moving us beyond that point. He's not only saying that God is all that I have, but what David is saying, what David is doing, is he's moving us to the point for us to understand that God is really all that we need. He's all that we really need. All these other things, all these other things, are oftentimes just distraction to us. And many times we get the power, we get a little power. Sometimes we get power like, like David, like, like how David abused his own power as a king. Oftentimes we get this little power, this little title. Oftentimes, what do we do with it? Without God, we abuse it. Just like how David abused his own power. And so all these things are just distractions to us. The only thing that is needed, the only thing that we have is really God. And so some of you may say, well, pastor, what about all these doctors that we need? What about all these scientists? What about all these politicians, all these community leaders, political leaders? And that's a good point. I would say that's a good point. But I'll also say to you that may God bless them. You see, may God bless them. And they are definitely worthy of our respect because God has called them to hold a certain responsibility in their lives. And these responsibilities are great, great indeed. And so they are worthy of our respect. But yeah, my friends, I also want to say to you, and I also need you to understand that even them, that they too are at the mercy of God. And unless God moves, they will not be able to move. Unless God provides, they will not be able to provide. Unless God acts, they will not be able to act. And so you see, all that we do, all that we are, depends on God. Depends on Him and on Him alone. So how are we going to overcome this fear? How are we going to respond? Are we going to proclaim Him as a shepherd again? Will we proclaim God as our shepherd again? Or are we going to continue to ignore Him and go our very own way? Because the Word of God teaches us that when we are left by ourselves, and all we do is we go astray, we are lost. It is only in God that we find guidance. It is only in God that this fear, this fear that often drives us to do negative things, it is only in God that this fear 
will drive us to do positive things. It is only in God that this fear will turn into something of tremendous, tremendous blessing. It will enlighten us and lead us. It will lead us towards the Lord. And as we read this chapter, we realize the chapter that precedes it. In Psalms chapter 22, we realize this chapter that precedes it. It is the very chapter that Jesus Christ quoted when he was hanging upon that cross. In the moments of his greatest despair, in the moment of absolute humiliation and torture, in the moment in which the wrath of this holy God, of the Father, was being poured down and being emptied upon the body of Jesus Christ, crushing him on that cross and piercing every single part of his body all the way down from head to toe. We realize that the very verse that Jesus Christ quoted, the very chapter that Jesus Christ quoted upon that cross came thousands and thousands of years before the life of Jesus Christ in Psalms chapter 22. Or says and begins out by saying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And so you see, death, tragedy, crisis, as much as we wish to avoid it, as much as we try to avoid it, we must acknowledge and we must, we need to know, we need to know that it can bring us victory. And oftentimes, it can bring us back to God. And so that's the point that I want us to see here today. Is that through this, that we need to turn to God. The only way for us to really go beyond this, to survive this, to, to overcome this fear, is to turn back to God. You know, at the time in which Jonah went through the city of Nineveh, the city repented. The scripture teaches us that the people of the king, they put on sackcloth and they repented from their sin and they were spared. But 150 years later, they were destroyed. This is not only from the Bible. There's many extra biblical sources out there by many men of antiquities of the past, many men of ancient times of the past who recorded about this city. 150 years after Jonah preached to them, they went back to sin and they didn't repent from sin anymore and they were destroyed. Let us be like our Lord Jesus Christ. On this Easter as we come together, on this Easter season as we remember our Lord Jesus Christ and His resurrection. We need to realize one thing, that without death, the resurrection is not possible. That the only reason why the resurrection took place was because there was death. And so in this time of death, in this time of fear, we can also have confidence, like just like how Jesus Christ, who resurrected from the grave, that we will also rise from this. And from the ashes of this situation, 
this ashes from the ashes of this pandemic that we will be victorious but for us to do that we really need to proclaim Jesus Christ proclaim the Lord as our shepherd once again in our own personal lives today our Lord Jesus Christ as he went through death and he went through his resurrection today he sits at the right hand of the throne of God and all powers and all authority on heaven and earth is now given to him he is in glory and one day we too if we conquer the things that comes before us we continue to proclaim him as our shepherd we continue to submit ourselves to him as our shepherd all the fears that we may experience will turn into a blessing for us and one day we too the Bible promised us that we too will sit with our Lord Jesus Christ at the right hand of God and I look forward to that day I look forward to that day and so today I want to just want, want us to understand that we're never alone you and I were never alone we are brothers and sisters in Christ we're all sons and daughters of the, of the Most High God. We are children of our Lord Jesus Christ, children of our God, and that He is with us. And no matter how much fear we may have, let us turn to Him. Let us keep Him in our lives. It's an amazing thing when I read this Bible verse here. It says, the valley of the shadow of death. As I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. And, and it's an amazing thing. Because David is not saying that as I walk through death. But he's talking about a shadow. You see, because he understands. That all it is now. That now that we have God with us. Then death can do nothing to harm us. All it is now is just a shadow. Can a shadow hurt anybody? Of course not. This shadow cannot hurt us. What amazing description of life that David puts here by referring to death as a shadow now. And that's all what death is in our life. It is a but just a shadow. All the challenges that we face, that's all it is. It's just a shadow. It won't harm us. It can't harm us. It can't do anything to us. We will overcome that as long as we continue to call him our shepherd let us pray Lord we thank you so much for your message today may we understand in our lives that no matter how difficult of a situation we may be that you are with us and we are definitely definitely never alone and so as we walk through these challenges in our lives, these obstacles, these tremendous, tremendous things in our lives that, that has this negative effect on us, this pandemic of this virus that causes fear in many of us, as we walk through these things, let us be reminded, let us be reminded, but they are only shadows, and you are protecting us. You are protecting us with your shield. With the shield of faith, we will overcome all these things. Let us overcome our fear of one another. Let us overcome our fear of this virus by trusting in you and proclaiming you as our shepherd, just as David did.
and Psalms 23. And so we ask that you bless all of us till we meet again. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Okay, I just want to remind everybody that um, even though we're not able to come together to worship at church um, anymore, um, at least for the, you know, at least for the foreseeable future, we still have bills to pay. And um, so if you can, if you're able to, um, please do send your tithe and your offerings to um, our mailing address at 45 Acacia Avenue in Orville, okay? And uh, help us out, you know, help us by paying our bills and, and things of that sort. And um, I also wanna, you know, I will announce, you know, on, on the first, I'll announce and I'll write out another letter to let us know what how we will proceed with this. Um, I, I really don't, I really think that we're, it's gonna be a while until we're able to come together to worship in our church. I, I, I just, with all that's going on, that's what I believe in, but uh, we'll see, we'll see. And I hope that we'll receive some good news here in the next couple of days. And I hope that soon uh, all of this will be lifted away from us and that we'll be able to come together. But um, um, at this time, you know, at this time with the way things are, um, it appears that, that, that we may have to continue to just worship here on Facebook. And I, I still think that's a good thing, you know, and even though we're, we're not able to gather together, I think it's a good thing for us to come here on Facebook and just worship here together. And, you know, you, you guys get to see my house here at my office and this is exactly where I work um, you know um, every day Monday through Friday and so I have a, a laptop here for my work and another laptop over here for my for for my uh, prepare my sermons and things of that sort and so um, you know it's, it's great to welcome all of you to my house and to worship with me here on Facebook and so I ask I ask that God bless all of you and I ask that the Lord just watch over all of you keep you safe uh, from this this virus it's, it's a terrible thing but I, I believe that God will protect all of us and I lift all of you up to God um, may he protect you may he watch over you and keep you healthy you know keep you healthy at all times and so until we meet again next week I just want to um, wish everybody to have a good week okay and so God bless all of you